Father in heaven, we lift up our nation to you. You are the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're the, the sovereign over all. We pray that in the exercise of your sovereignty, in giving us this new administration, we pray that you would give us peace, economic well-being, not so we can line our pockets, for the cause of the gospel. Father, may the gospel run freely, no matter what else is happening in the world, no matter what else is going on in our nation, no matter what philosophies of people are going on, may the gospel go forward with power, and may many be saved this year. May they come to the Lord Jesus and bow their knees and confess he is Lord to your glory, Father. We pray for everybody in high places in our land. Would you bring believers into their lives if they're not yet saved? Would you draw them to Jesus Christ? Would you soften their hearts to your word, the word of God? Thank you that we come to that word now. We open our hearts and pray that you will speak to us. If we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And the title of today's sermon is, Are We in the Last Days? Part two. Some of you came last Sunday, were expecting that, were disappointed, made it through Serve Sunday. Now we're back to part two, Are We in the Last Days? Let me review quickly since it's been two weeks. I know what happens as soon as I say review, people go <laughs> Don't nod out on me, it's gonna be brief, hang in there with me. Three reasons why we're addressing this now. We looked at these last week. One is we just finished 2020. That was pretty apocalyptic. Does that mean 2021 is going to be post-apocalyptic? I don't know. It might be equally apocalyptic. We will see, but we just finished 2020. And as a result of that, point number two, people are talking. People are talking. Christians are talking. Is this the end times? Are, 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 these, are these the signs? And I'm having Christians even in our church say, surely we're, we're at the end here. This is it. Are we? We're trying to answer that question. And a third reason why we're addressing the subject now is because in God's Word, in the Bible, and the time stuff is very important and was taught to the newest believers in some clarity and detail. So it's right that we would spend some time addressing this subject. Then I gave you two important qualifiers, the first of which is this topic calls for a healthy dose of cognitive humility, meaning I realize I'm not very smart. The well is deep and my brain is shallow, and I can't expect to get it all figured out and know that I am right. So there's got to be some cognitive humility. And also, that leads to a second important qualifier, our church, I want you to know, unites around the core doctrines of eschatology. Beyond that, there are details. You're welcome to differ on those. You're welcome to have friendly, brotherly, loving debate on those. We're not going to take a position on those things. We might teach the different positions and say, you get to choose yours, here's mine. But the church unites around the core doctrines of eschatology. You say, Pastor Steve, what are those? We, with all believers in all places and all times, find in our Bibles and believe together that there comes a day when Jesus returns. There will be a judgment day. There will be heaven. There will be hell, eternal in one and eternal in the other. 
There will be a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We, with all our brothers and sisters in Christ down through all of time, find those things clearly in our Bible. Then there's a lot of other details. People who have a high view of Scripture, people who have reverence for Jesus Christ, people who pray over their studies of God's Word, wind up in different places on some of the details. What does that teach us? Cognitive humility. Don't trust yourself and be gracious to brothers and sisters who differ with you. So far, we asked the question, are we in the last times? And we answered it with a definitive yes, because the Bible teaches us that this entire period from Jesus' first coming all the way down to his second coming in the Bible, numerous times, the the entire time period is called the end times or the last days or the last hour. We are in the last hour, have been for 2,000 years. We are in the end times, have been for 2,000 years. A second question we ask and answer, what can we expect? in these last days. And the Bible gives us very clear instruction and information on that in a number of places, and they all say one part or another or the whole of the same thing. There will be times of difficulty, times, seasons. It'll get worse, it'll get better. It'll get worse, it'll get better. All the way down through the age. There will be wars. There will be natural disasters, famines, and earthquakes. If a famine occurs, don't be all like, oh, this, this must be the very end then. Jesus is about to, because there's a famine. No, Jesus says that's just a characteristic of the entire age. That's not a sign of the very end of the end of the age. Lawlessness, persecution, apostasy, antichrists, plural, gospel preaching, some believing, others not, good seed growing up along bad seed. All of this the Lord Jesus calls the beginning of birth pains, but not the end. So if a massive war occurs with the United States and it's just crazy and terrifying, don't be all, oh, this must be the end time. No, that's just a sign of the age. That's what happens all the way down through. I'm saying that because again and again and again and again, all down through church history, when things get kind of crazy, believers all say, oh, this must be the end. No, Jesus says, that's just birth pains. The end will have more for you. Now, we're getting to new material. Did you hang in there with me? Thank you very much. New material. And here's the question we're going to start with today. Are things getting progressively worse as we work our way down through the timeline of these last days? Are things getting worse and worse on planet Earth? I'm addressing this because it seems like everybody believes they are. Seems like I'm hearing from believers everywhere. I just Googled stuff, and there's articles, and there's pastors, and there's Christian leaders. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. It's getting worse and worse. And I want to know, is that what Scripture says? And in fact, I also want to know, does history, if we look at how it's been on the planet, does history bear that out? But a lot of people think it's getting worse and worse. One recent well-done survey suggests that 71% of people think that the world is going to the dogs. Like, it was better then, it's worse now. 71% of people. Harvard cognitive scientist Steven Pinker looks at recent studies and finds that majorities in 14 countries believe the world is getting worse and worse and worse rather than better. People in Australia... Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Great Britain, Hong Kong, Malaysia, Norway, Singapore, Sweden, Thailand, the United Arab Emirates, and the United States. Everybody believes, man, things are just getting worse and worse and worse. But this Harvard cognitive scientist, Steven Pinker, 
differs. He suggests what the key indicators would be. What are you going to look for on the planet as you look at history to determine are things getting worse or are things better or whatever? What are the key indicators and what's the hard data that life on the planet has gotten worse? And he surveys the hard data in his book Enlightenment Now and says, actually the data reveals that things have gotten way, 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 way better on planet Earth than they've ever been before. I don't know if you're shocked by that. He says the key indicators, which you incidentally never hear in the news, that's why you don't know this. That's why you don't believe this. That's why you think everything's going to the dogs. The key indicators, which you never hear in the news, are extreme poverty is ginormously less than it ever used to be. Gross domestic product per capita, way better than it ever used to be. Child mortality, way down compared to what it used to be. And these are the key indicators you want. Life expectancy, way more than it used to be. You know what the life expectancy was in Europe in the 1300s? 29. You know what the life expectancy is in Europe and in the United States today? You're in your 70s. And if you make it past 70 couple, there's a good chance you'll make it into your 90s. Life expectancy is way better than it used to be. The amount of hunger and undernourishment on the planet, way down compared to what it used to be. The amount of education on the planet, way up compared to what it used to be, which is a good key indicator because where there's more education, quality of life always improves. People always do better, especially in places where women who are mothers and wives have gotten no education and where they begin to get educated, life gets way better for that planet and for that locale. Also, other key indicators, access to improved water, sanitation, and medicine, way better all over the planet. Deaths from disaster, way down. We still have the same disasters, the same tsunamis, the same earthquakes, but we're, we're building way better so that we can withstand the earthquakes and more people survive. Deaths from disease, you might not know this, the news never tells you this, this is not a news story, it wouldn't get your attention, their ratings would not go up, but deaths from disease, contrary to what you might think being in a global pandemic, are way down compared to what they have been almost always on the planet prior to our day. So the hard facts, the real data is that life on the planet has gotten way, 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 way better, at least in those ways. I made no commentary on whether things have gotten spiritually better. That's a different issue. So, uh, Mr. Pinker and others like him tell us actually life on the planet has gotten better. But that you'll say, doesn't the Bible say, however, doesn't the Bible teach that as we work our way down through this last age, this, these latter days, things will get worse and worse and worse? There are three verses in the Bible from which people get that idea. They're all in one chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to take you there now. Let's look at the verses and see what they say. Here's the first one. These are the three verses people turn to to say, see, things are going to get worse and worse. 2 Timothy 3.1, Paul writes, but understand this. All right, so you all ready to understand something? Understand this. Make sure you understand it. Don't read into it. Don't impose some meaning on it. Understand this, that in the last days, now we already established last, well, two weeks ago now in the last sermon on this, that this entire age is called the last days. So in this last age period that we're in, in these latter days, 
There will come times of difficulty. There you see, it says it's going to get worse and worse on the planet. No, it actually says there will be times, there will be seasons, there will be occasions when things get more difficult on the planet, and there will be times and seasons when things get better on the planet. A global pandemic might qualify for one of those times when things got worse. That was a season, that was a time. We have together just lived through and are still in a time. I shouldn't say lived through, we're still in it, folks. COVID has not gone anywhere and isn't going anywhere. We just have to become immune. But now I'm off of the Bible. Uh, there, will be, there will be times of difficulty. And then let's go to the next verse, please. Um, no, I'm sorry, back up and stay there. Let me take you to a season, a time of difficulty. It's the 1300s and we're in Europe. Because of unusual weather conditions, more rain all summer, colder, freezing winters in the winter, there was massive, horrible crop failure, and all of Europe in the 1300s suffered a massive famine. And for most people, there was simply not enough food. Everybody was hungry. Sometimes even royalty was hungry. There just wasn't food. Just surviving was a brutal struggle. The average lifespan was 29 years. As if that was not enough, the entire period was also marked by extreme levels of crime and disease and massive death and even, hate to say it, cannibalism and infanticide because people were starving and going crazy with hunger. Then, just as that began to lift, right on the heels of that horrific famine came the Black Death, also known as the pestilence, the great mortality, the plague, the deadliest pandemic ever to hit planet Earth. It resulted in the deaths of about 200 billion people. COVID is like, right? 200, and the, and the population on the planet was not very big at all compared to what it is now. In Europe, in Asia, in North Afri- Africa, 60% of Europe's population died. So you, you had a family of 10, which wasn't uncommon. Six of them died. You had a church of 100, 60 of them died. You come back to church, all right, the pandemic's finally passed. You come back to church, and 60 of your friends are gone, 40 of them are left. That was the season. And I'm sure, I don't have data, I'm sure believers in that season were all like, oh, this has got to be the end, this is the end, I'm sure, these are the signs, the Lord is coming back, and they would, would have been wrong. Because Jesus tells us, that's a sign of the entire era, that's not a sign of the very end. We're going to see signs of the very end, there are two. But those don't qualify. Those just are characteristics of the entire age. What about World War II? I mean, skipping over lots of possible historic possibilities, Debbie and I have been binging on World War II for whatever reason. It just turns out we didn't coordinate that, but I'm reading a great big book on World War II, and she's reading biographies and historical biographies or, or fictional biographies based on history about characters and what they experienced during World War II, particularly in the Nazi death camps part she's reading. I'm reading, I'm reading the, the Life, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Awesome book, and I'm slowly working my way through it. What about World War II? That was a season. And if you had been alive in World War II, if you had been in one of Hitler's death camps, you would have been sure this is the end. I mean, it's never been so bad on the planet as this. Guess what? It was just a normal, characteristic of the age. 
Jesus said there will be wars and rumors of war. There'll be famines, there'll be earthquakes, there'll be natural disasters. Those are not the end, they're just the beginning. They're the birth pangs. So the verse doesn't say, yeah, it's going to get worse and worse. Well, let's go a few verses later in the same chapter, 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13. Indeed, he says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So is there persecution? And do you say, oh, that's a sign. We're at the very end of the end. No, no, no. You're misunderstanding Paul. Paul says that's a sign that you're in the last days. That's a characteristic of the entire period called the last days. And it'll get better and it'll get worse in various places. There's a lot of persecution on the planet today. About 250 million people, I believe, if I remember right, live in places where there's a distinct possibility they will be seriously persecuted. So there's, there's persecution in these last days. And then he adds this, and this is the one people really get it from. Oh, everything's getting better. Right, worse, I mean. While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived. There, Pastor Steve, they say, there it is. It says plainly, evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse. The planet's going from bad to worse. It's just getting worse and worse. You can barely live on the planet anymore. We must be at the very end of the end. Ah, my friend, but look at the words that are actually in the verse. Look at the claim that's actually made by the Apostle Paul. He says, evil people get worse. Impostors get worse. Let's take an evil person. Let's follow the trajectory of his life. He starts off stealing change out of his mother's purse. He proceeds to beating up kids in the neighborhood. He goes on to, let's jump way ahead, fast forward in his life. he's He's into crime and narcotics and stuff. Uh, let's go ahead. He, he's murdering people. Let's go ahead. He's in jail. What's he do in jail? Some people get better in jail. Some people get worse in jail. He's still getting worse in jail. Follow the trajectory of his life, and they go from bad to worse. Evil people and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. He's not saying the planet gets worse and worse. We couldn't stand it if it did. It's been pretty bad. It's pretty bad presently. He's not saying life on the planet through this, these last days would just progressively get worse. He's saying people start bad and get better. People start crime and graduate to bigger crimes. People start mean and get meaner. Man, I know some people like that. You know anybody like that? I got one coming into my mind right now. They start mean and they get meaner. So the passage does not say things are going to get worse. That's the classic passage right there from which people get that idea. Let me take you to another passage to help set the stage and get this all straight. Are things going to get worse and worse down through this age? We're going to go to the parable of the good seed and the teaching of the Lord Jesus, and here we read. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. That's, that's the gospel. That's the word of God. You're sowing good seed. That's what, that's what we're here on the planet for. We're sowing good seed out in the field. That's the world. But while his men were sleeping, they've been sowing some seed, now they're taking a nap, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. What's that? That's error. That's the devil. That's evil. That's falsehood. That's false religion. That's false philosophies. Verse 26. So 
When the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also, verse 27. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? Verse 28, he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you, do you want us to go and gather them? Verse 29, but he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Why has not gathered yet? Why has God not gathered in the weeds yet? Why is he allowing weeds to grow? And individually they go from bad to worse, maybe. Why, why hasn't he gathered them in yet? Because he's giving time. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's not willing to lower the boom. He's being very patient, waiting for more to come to Christ, waiting for more to be changed, waiting for more to believe. And so he says, verse 30, let both grow together. That's what's happening in this age. Here's what you can expect to see till the end of the age. Both are growing together. Evil is growing and good is growing. The gospel is being sown and people are springing up believers and false, falsehoods and errors and philosophies are being sown and people are springing up antichrists, little a. Let both grow together until the harvest and at harvest time I'll tell the reapers, all right, time to gather. Gather the weeds first, bind them, burn them, gather the wheat into my barn. You're headed to God's barn. In Christ, your wheat, you're going to be gathered into God's barn. I like that. We're going to be agrarian people, farmers for all eternity in the barn. It's metaphorical, I'm sure. But what you see is the Bible does not teach that things get progressively worse and worse. Rather, all down through the age, good seed is sown, believers come up, bad seed is sown, anti-Christian people come up, and all the other characteristics of the age that we saw. So now I'm going to ask a question. Let's put the question up. Why? Why do we tend to believe things are getting worse and worse? Why do we think that? Now I'm going to leave the Bible a little bit. You say, oh, that's very bad. Well, it is kind of bad. We want Bible. We want the Word. But I'm going to go over to psychology and logic and epistemology, the study of how we know that we know what we think we know. And, and in, in those studies, people who have wisdom, well, they're not believers. Can they have wisdom? Should you be preaching what they say in church? Well, I'm telling you, this is not God's Word, so take it for what it isn't. All right. And also, though, they can, they can reason well. Like, can they build your laptop? Can they build your cell phone? Can they build beautiful systems? Yes, they can. Can they build neuroscience that makes sense and explains why we think the way we do? Yes, they can. So I think some of the best scholars give us some of these answers, why we tend to believe things are worse and worse. Number one, you see on the screen now, there is a media-induced frenzy and catastrophism. Media dramatically under-reports, non-reports, does not report all the good things that are happening. What if if they came on and told you how many planes did not crash today? Versus what if they came on and showed you, here's how many car, we're not seeing that, you're seeing how many COVID cases every day. What if they showed you how many car wrecks people died in every day? You'd be astounded. I had no idea there was so many. Look at all those wrecks, people dying, I'm never driving again. But there's this media-induced frenzy about, oh, how bad things are. Wherever they can find bad, bad sells. Bad gets clicks. Bad gets watching time. So they're pumping, pumping, pumping bad. And we, the partakers, get the idea, man, everything's bad. 
It's a catastrophism induced by the media. This is exacerbated by tech. It used to be you had to get home from work and read the paper to find out what went on. Now you do it all day long. Click, what's next? Oh, that's terrible. Click, oh, that's awful. Click, oh, that's so bad. There is media-induced frenzy, and it's exacerbated by tech, so that we've got bad news flooding into our souls all day, every day. My advice to you, unplug. There are better things to flood into your soul all day, every day. Unplug from that source. And then there is what people who study such things call the availability heuristic. A heuristic is a mental shortcut. We use millions of, not millions, we use them millions of times every day because there's so much data coming in, we can't keep track of it all, and our brain struggles to make sense. And we tend to grab the first available, the first explanation that presents itself to us. So let me just give you an example of the availability heuristic. A couple months back, Debbie and I had a wonderful time. We took our motorcycle and went to West Virginia in the mountains for four days, and we rode mountains. It was awesome. And on the way over there, we have comms and we can talk. That makes the riding awesome, too. And on the way over there, uh, I was telling her, you know, we might see some bear we might see some bear up in these West Virginia mountains. So I had bear on the brain, and over and over and over, we'd come around a corner, and I'd see a bear. And then I'd realize, no, it's actually a tree stump. No, it's actually a rock. No, it's actually a shadow. I did that numerous times. Debbie's laughing at me. I had bear on the brain. What is my brain doing to me? Because I had bear on the brain, it was like, it didn't know what that thing is, so it's just telling me bear until we get more data in there to figure out what it really is. That's an availability heuristic. You grasp after the first available that comes to your brain explanation of something, and then what tends to happen is you stick with it even if evidence to the contrary presents itself. I'm, I'm still sure that stump is a bear. You won't change your mind. That's the availability heuristic. And Steven Pinker notes, the power of bad news is magnified by this mental habit called the availability heuristic. The first plausible explanation that comes to your mind is the one you've been bombarded with. Everything is bad. It's all going to the dogs. Then there's what is called the positivity effect. That means you're more likely, you're way more likely to remember positive events from your past so that the present bombarding you with what's bad looks horrible in compared to the way it used to be. If we could just get back to Mayberry. Yeah, well, Mayberry was right after World War II. So what do you want to get back to there? But, but that's how our brains work. There's this positivity effect. And then there's what is called declinism. That's when you've bought it hook, line, and sinker, and you're just sure everything is in a decline, so you interpret everything that way. And finally, there's what is called a negative, negativity bias, which is more pronounced than people with depression. And this negativity bias is the idea that emotionally negative events are way more likely to have an impact on your thoughts and behaviors and feelings and stay there with you and weigh a lot with you than are similar, equally opposite positive events. So they don't even report to us on the news. There was an amazing new cure today for X, Y, Z. But even if they did, you'd be like, huh, and you'd forget about that one by tomorrow. But if they report something bad, and that's all they do, you grab a hold of it. It weighs. So you put all those things together, and 
the Bible doesn't teach things are getting worse and worse. Neither does history teach that things are getting worse and worse. And neuroscience and studies of logic and epistemology can explain to us why we then think things are getting worse and worse. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you things aren't getting worse and worse. The Bible doesn't say it. History doesn't bear it out. So just get over that idea. Are there bad times? Yeah, in and out of bad times. There will be seasons. But it's going to be like this to the end when Jesus comes. All right, now we have another question, and we have some time. Yay, time. Here's the next question. Well, do things get worse at the very end? And some of you have been waiting for me to admit this. Some of you have been wanting me to admit this, but the answer is, I think, from Scripture, yes. But don't jump to conclusions. Well, then, see, I'm right. We're at the very end. Now, I think when we're at the very end, the things we're going to see, the two things that characterize that, the, the two things that get badder then, are going to be something so evident, no believer on the planet will question, is this that? We'll all know. So, let me show you what they are. The two events at the end of these times are, we'll put them up for you here, the two events are the rebellion, or also possibly translated the apostasy, there will be a great rebellion, or I think a better translation, a great apostasy. We'll come back to that. And there will be the revealing of the Antichrist, the man of sin, the man of lawlessness. The text we're about to look at says he will be revealed. Those are the two signs that you're near the very end, and Jesus Christ is actually about to return. There will be a massive worldwide rebellion or apostasy. I take it that way, apostasy. There will also be the revealing of the Antichrist, the man of sin, the lawlessness, probably the one John in his epistles calls the Antichrist. Now, as we approach this, remember we need some cognitive humility. Good believers differ over some of the details, all right? Let's talk about the, rebe the rebellion or the apostasy. The Bible teaches us that before Jesus returns, there will be either a rebellion or the same word can be translated either way, or there will be an apostasy. Here's where we get that. 2 Thessalonians 2, and starting in verse 1, it'll come up in a few verses. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, the second coming. Concerning that, the Lord came once, it's been 2,000 years, he's coming again. Now concerning that coming and our being gathered together to him, we ask you brothers, let's go on verse 2, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, they were, they were being alarmed, just like we get alarmed by the news, they were being alarmed, somebody's spreading some news, somebody's telling a story. Don't get alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us. There were imposters, there were pseudepistles, there were false letters, false writers. Don't be alarmed about these people circulating this to the effect that the day of the Lord, that's that second coming he just referred to. And they're telling you it already came and you missed it. It came and you didn't make the cut. Once in a while, Debbie and I leave our house, so we get on the St. Mary Church Road, and then we take that over to Emerton Road 924, and we get to 924, and we look left, and we look right, and there's not a car to be seen. That never happens, but once in a while, it happens. And I'll look at her, and she'll look at me, and we'll go, did, did we miss it? <laughs> right? Like, are, are they all gone? Let's drive a little and see if there's any people. And that's what these Thessalonians were doing. Uh, uh, 
So-and-so says that the Lord already came back and took his people, and we're still here. What, what, what happened? And Paul says, I don't want you to be shaken by that. Let's go to the next verse, verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless. Here's two things that are going to happen before that day comes. And you know that day didn't happen, and you got left behind, because these two things have not happened. Meaning these two things will be clear. You'll know when they're happening. You'll see the signs and you'll be able to do the math. There's thing one plus there's thing two means number three, Jesus is coming. So what are the two things? He says, let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless, here's thing number one, the rebellion comes first. Leave it on the verse, please. Back one, thank you. Unless the rebellion comes first. Now, that word rebellion is a Greek word that can equally be translated the apostasy. In other versions, and I would prefer their translation, um, it just means an apostasy. And the rebellion view is this. There's going to come a time when people on planet earth in greater mass than ever rebel against the Lord, the God of heavens. Well, it may mean that. But the word apostasia is usually used for people who professed faith turning their back on Jesus. It's used again and again and again that way in Scripture. So I prefer to go with that more constant and popular meaning of the word. There's going to come a great apostasy. Remember, apostasy is a sign all the way down through the age. There's persecution, people deny the faith. There's persecution, people turn one another in. There's persecution and hatefulness abounds. That's not a sign of the end. But there's coming what he calls the, the apostasy. There's a big one coming. So it seems to say there will be a time when in, in massive numbers, people who said they were believers, people who looked like they were believers are now saying, no, not me anymore. I turn my back. Possibly because of greater persecution, possibly because of world pressure to conform, possibly because of You'll be dissed if you don't, possibly because of economic disaster. You'll lose your job if you don't, et cetera, et cetera. More and more people in great numbers, such great numbers, you'll go, oh, oh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. This looks like that. So that'll come first, and here's what will come second. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction. Stay in the verse for now, please. So, uh, what's that? No, you can't go to the next verse now. Thank you. Next slide. Thank you. So, there's the rebellion, and there's the antichrist, the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction revealed. What does scripture tell us about him? We're going to jump to 1 John for a minute and come back to Second Thessalonians. Jump with me to First John. John calls this person the Antichrist. Here we are in First John, and John writes, First John 2:18, "Children, it is the last hour." You see, remember that? We're in the last hour. This whole age is the last hour. Are we in the last hour? Is it 11 o'clock? Yeah, it's been 11 o'clock for 2,000 years. We're in the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist, that's one, singular, is coming. There is one. That's the one Paul's talking about in 2 Thessalonians. As you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now and throughout the age, many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know 
it's the last hour. We know we're in the last time because there are antichrists. But there's coming one who is the antichrist. Now, let's go to 2 Thessalonians 2.3, and that's the one Paul is talking about when he says, let no one deceive you. The day won't come. The rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness. Now, notice he calls him a man. It's a human. There will be an individual. He's male. This is what we know about him. One person. He's called the man of lawlessness. He will not be a keeper of God's law. He will not be faithful to the word of God and the commandments of the Lord Jesus for his people. He'll be a lawless person. And it says, he will be, what's the next word? Revealed. Meaning what? Right now, he's not revealed. So would you just drop all speculation? Oh, I think that's the Antichrist. I think this one's the Antichrist. I think the other one's the Antichrist. He will be revealed. He's not yet revealed. He will then be revealed. When he's revealed, you'll know it. I think of it this way. This is just my own little mental illustration. You go up to Habit of Grace on a year when there's not COVID shutting everything down, and they have fireworks for the 4th of July. So you go up there, and before the fireworks go off, people have brought firecrackers, and there's a crack here and there, and there's a over there for a minute, and there's little things going off, and you go, oh, was that it? Was that the show? Was that the show? No, 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 that's not the show. Oh, you're going to know it when the show starts. And then the show starts, and it's... That's what this is. People are saying, oh, is that the Antichrist? A little whizz. Is that the Antichrist? Pop. No, you'll know it when the Antichrist is here. He will be revealed. It'll be like fireworks. All believers on the planet will go, oh, now we get it. So he's singular, There's a definite article, the man of lawlessness. He's human. He's disobedient to God's word. He will be revealed, and he is also the son of destruction, meaning either he's a destroyer of souls or he is the son of the devil. Here's more about him, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. Who, here's what he does, opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God, the phony ones, or every object of worship, including the true God. He opposes it all so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. Three views of that. Either he was Titus, who went into the Jewish temple in AD 70, and they destroyed the temple, and this referred to him. That may have been the near prophetic fulfillment. Uh, Others say, no, there will be a future temple rebuilt in, in Israel, in Jerusalem. It'll be that temple. He'll go into that temple. And others say the temple is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are New Testament reasons to believe that God now refers to us as the temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So which of those it is, I leave that to you. Those are details. We're not going to fight over it. But uh, Paul is saying, look, there's two things that guarantee you, you didn't miss his coming. You didn't miss the cut. The, uh, the rebellion or the apostasy hasn't occurred yet. Neither has the Antichrist been revealed. You'll know it when those two events occur. You'll know it. Until then, it's birth, birth pangs. Until then, it's the age waxing and waning. What are some historical views of who the Antichrist is? This might help you to not be hoodwinked by present views. What are some historical Protestant views? I put them before you to encourage cognitive humility about your abilities to identify the Antichrist. 
Many Christians have said it will be a great world ruler. Name one that they didn't like, and they said he was the Antichrist. Uh, some said it was in particular the succession of Roman governors, of Roman uh, leaders. They were the Antichrist. Others said, no, it'll be a great religious leader. Who's the, the most picked one there? Yeah, the Pope. So lots and lots and lots of people said, oh, I'm sure it's the Pope. Others have said, no, it's two for one. It's both of those in one. It's going to be a world ruler who's also a religious leader, but false. Others going down through church history, frankly, said, oh, I know who the Antichrist is. It's everybody who opposes me. So since the Reformation, Protestant reformers, including John Wycliffe, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Thomas Cranmer, John Knox, Cotton Mather up in New England, John Wesley from England, but, but, but preaching up and down our coast, most Protestants of the 15, 16, and 1700s believed that the early church had been led into the great apostasy by the papacy of Rome, and they identified the Pope with the Antichrist. Is it possible that it will end up that a Pope will be the Antichrist? That's possible. Do I know that any present pope, they thought that one, then 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 they were sure it was that. Martin Luther was sure it was the pope in his day, was the Antichrist. So a little cognitive humility, just, just, just chill a little bit and say, um, I'm not very smart. And the Bible tells me, don't be deceived. So I don't want to be deceived. So I'm just going to wait because when the fireworks go off, I think I'm going to see them. All right. So just, just chill and comfort yourself with, with all of that. By the way, Gabrielle, I failed to put it in my phone to be able to text you for keys. It's time for keys. Thank you. So, all through this era, people have worried, are we in the, the end of the end? Paul says, you'll know it when you're there. Did, did we miss the coming of Christ? No, you'll, you'll know. So, I have three closing points for you here. They're rather rapid. There are things, what have we seen? We have seen that there are things that must happen before Jesus returns. Some of you didn't know that, did you? Because you've been taught like he could come back at any moment. Well, he could. Maybe we somehow missed the signs. But Paul says he's not coming back until th these two big things happen. So far as we can tell, they have not happened yet. Think about that. Welcome to argue with me over it if you want. I'll still call you brother. But there are things that must happen before Jesus returns. And number two in closing, just avoid speculation. Wait and see. Somebody says, oh, I think that's it. Wait and see. These are signs. That's just birth pangs. They've been over and over and over and over. Be rational. Be reasonable about it. And so number three, a whole lot of times when we get prophecy in the New Testament, it's, it's, it's for ethical reasons. It's not so much Paul wants to fill our brains with what to believe. He wants to get to the point where he says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. It's ethical in its implications. So live without fear. Oh, what's going on? Same thing that's gone on for 2,000 years. What do these earthquakes mean? What's this famine mean? What's all this other stuff mean? It means we're in the end times, have been for 2,000 years. What's it going to be like when Jesus comes? Is the earth going to get worse and worse? No, not till the very, very end. And the worst then is not more earthquakes. The worst is not more famines. The worst, is, the worst is there will be an antichrist and there will be apostasy. Probably because of his persecution, people turn away from Christ. So live without fear. 
you in Christ, you're not going to get on 924 and he's left you. And all, all of God's people are gone. When he comes, you're going to know it. When he comes, you're going up. When he comes, you'll meet the Lord in the air and you'll be changed. And so ever, forever will you be with the Lord. In a new heavens and a new earth, you'll go to judgment and you'll hear the blessed words, enter, enter into the joy of your Lord. So, scary planet, always has been. I'm going to do one more message, Lord willing, next Sunday, Lord willing, in eschatology and the doctrine of last things will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to call the sermon, The Last Trumpet. It'll be about what happens at the very end. Hope you join me for that. Bring some friends. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for bringing us to this time and place where we may open the scriptures and hear from your word. We pray for people who are with us in this room and with us online, some of them may be not believers in the Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, draw them to the Lord Jesus. Send the powerful Holy Spirit of redemption into their hearts. Grant them faith, grant them repentance, cause them to believe in spite of their own fallenness. Give them life, we pray. And help us to live with courage, without fear, in trust, walking with the Lord Jesus, believing in your promises, rejoicing in your presence. May we be found in Christ at the last day. For we pray it in his name. Amen.